AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. Ross Dadheim joining, joining us right now. MJSB Employment Justice is the place. We like to talk some legal issues, and uh, Ross is kind enough to stop in into the studio and, and join us today. Hi, Ross. Hey, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing, I'm doing well. I, I, I wanted to talk with you a little bit today about ethics. And, and one of the reasons why I want to kind of set this up is that I, you know, sometimes I, I'm in the radio business. So sometimes I'll like try to deal with certain clients. I don't know another industry that has as many rules and regulations about what you can and cannot say when it comes to radio advertising because they have this high bar of ethics standards that you can and cannot say certain things. That's at least the standards I've gotten to, which is really kind of hard when you say, well, this is we hold the legal institution, whether that's lawyers, judges, the courts, to a higher standard. It's hard then to see what's happening with our judicial system right now where there is this big question of what is appropriate in regards to, you know, disclosure for for judges. And, of course, obviously the story that's been in the newspaper is Alito and Thomas and and basically getting their, their you know, vacation homes and home houses paid off and vacations across the globe. You know, this is – we're you know, I think a lot of people are surprised to a point that there aren't even more spelled out ethics in regards to the Supreme Court on something like this. Right. Totally. Totally. So uh, us as lawyers and judges, like we were beholden to a code of ethics for judicial officers and judges. They are beholden to um, a judicial code of ethics. Lawyers have a uh, professional responsibility board of ethics that oversees all of our conduct. You always hear the thing about, you know, ambulance chasing, right? Yeah. yeah you're an ambulance chaser. You're the, you know, you, you can't, you know, and that's 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 actually you know, true. Like you can't go sol- directly solicit clients as a lawyer and just find and just find out a crash and then say, "Hey, here's my card." Right? Mm-hmm. The the client has to reach out to you without, and you can advertise, but without you know your influence, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, this is Clarence Thomas thing. It, it's very surprising because it's an issue of disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ethics in Government Act of 1978. Uh, that's the that's the law at issue here with regard to Thomas. He has a duty every year as a uh, Supreme Court judge and uh, Article Three judges too in Minnesota, the District of Minnesota. Uh, they have a duty to, every year on May fifteenth to disclose all gifts that uh, are over. Uh, I think it's one hundred sixty six dollars. And for twenty years, Mr. Thomas failed to do that. We're talking uh, trips across the globe, private jets. Um, some real estate transactions, VIP sports tickets, uh, uh, being on a yacht, a super yacht by uh, this mega donor named Harlan Crow. So it's an issue of judicial transparency, and we're talking, you know, the tally could be in the millions. Well, and it's also it, – it, it's, it's basically, you know, money funded from groups who have an interest in the cases that are coming before the Supreme Court. I mean, it's not just you're getting a trip. It's you're getting a trip in some cases from people who have a vested interest in how the rulings of the Supreme Court come down. That's correct. That's correct. This Harlan Harlan Crow is a billionaire, and he had has a vested interest in you know the turnouts for his businesses as to how these cases go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an, another another uh, area of judicial ethics that I find quite interesting is a lot of uh, judges ha- own stock 
in companies yeah. where where you know they Johnson and Johnson comes before them, and if it's a big case, you know, like a th- big 3M case that could affect shareholder prices, um, they should be recusing themselves. And the Wall Street Journal report found that 131 judges from one or 685 cases from 2010 to 2018 failed to recuse themselves in cases where they had a vested financial interest in a party. I will buy that a few, a handful of those cases might not be aware they have stock in the company. They might be in a, sure. some sort of thing. I'll, I'll buy that. But it's clear that there are a lot of judges who know exactly what they've got. And it's like, oh, it's, you know, and we'll just, you know, company ABC, I'm, I have, you know, 2,000 shares of company ABC. I don't think this this is a vested interest, although clearly then the question is, is could you even rule in that case knowing that if I rule the wrong way, I'm going to lose money on this? Right. It's an unconscious bias, even if mm-hmm. – or bias, even if you have a, a little bit of stock. And I mean – the judge should just recuse themselves. Who cares? It's less work for them. Yeah. Go, to, go on to the next. Go on to the next case if you have a little, a little bit of stock, even if it's a little bit, just to avoid that appearance of impropriety. And you know, we hold our judges to an, a really high standard here in this country. And more recusals like that would go a long way in mm. ensuring uh, public trust. Well, and then it goes the opposite way. The fact that you didn't recuse, your, recuse yourself leads us to believe that then maybe you did want to influence this case. That, you know, you forget about your attempt at being, you know, unbiased. The fact that you stayed on this case, maybe you were concerned that another judge might actually rule in a way that you lose money. So probably it's best I stay on this case, which is, you know, once again, coming at it from the other side of it, but it's, it's still just as valid. Totally. Absolutely, yeah. Matt. The I watched the I'm going to bring, go back to something you first said. I watched the verdict. Paul Newman, fantastic film. I love that film. One of the best law, law films of all time. And of course, the beginning of that movie, he's showing up at funeral parlors and handing out cards and stuff like this. Can, I mean, he's ambulance chasing like this. Can, is it is it kind of one of those things? And he's being very clear. He's like, I'm here if you have any questions. He's not saying I'm, I want to be your lawyer. He's just handing them the cards. So like, if you have any questions, please just be in touch, sort of thing. You know, there do we have standards against that stuff? I mean, that movie was what 1981, I think it was. Do we still do we have standards against that stuff nowadays? I mean, I guess. Yes, don't do that if you're a lawyer. <laughs> don't 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 go to a funeral parlor and hand out your card. Uh, you know, to to folks like that. Uh, you know, hoping to drum up business. Yeah, don't do that. I would advise. But yeah, there there are standards against direct solicitation like that in our code of ethics. I would say the verdict or uh, you know uh, Michael Clayton, best two law films ever made. I think hands down, I'm phenomenal. But also having to deal a lot with ethics on this. Now going to the Supreme Court, you had mentioned to me before we went on the air that. This is, you know, getting stuff like this, it's stuff that's happened in the past. It's just you need to disclose it. Uh, that you know, that RBG, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she basically um, took a flight and she, you know, she disclosed it, correct? Right. Yeah. She took a flight uh, for uh, a free flight to Israel from, uh, you know, a billionaire, I think, in 2017 or 2018. But the point is she disclosed it on her financial disclosures. So it's an issue of public trust. Okay, mm-hmm. you did this. And if this case pops up where this person that gave you the free flight is involved, you better you better be sure you should recuse yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's an issue of building public trust and knowing that, uh, you know, you're doing these certain things. Where it becomes a problem is what Mr. Thomas did, where you have over 20 years of uh, undisclosed free gifts, free flights, uh, luxurious vacations, and so it 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 now your ethics are being it called into question. 
Um, so what's really going on here? Why don't you want to tell us about this? What what's what's going on here? Well, and I will say this: this is just me personally. You know, if I know this, I'll tell you what, Thomas and Alito. I'll get you the super duper arm wristband over at the Mall of America, place for fun in your life. <laughs> we'll do some rides and stuff. You just have to make sure common sense gun regulation is passed. And before you kind of get mad at me at joking about this, I'm not the one who's doing this. They're the ones that basically have turned the you know have undermined the legitimacy of the Supreme Court with this stuff. You know, we're inter- it's interesting in this uh, the case in Atlanta right now uh, with Trump and Fulton County. One of the things I've seen is that there's a lot of criticism of the lawyers. Oh, that there's a conflict of interest or this person might have donated to some campaign or something like this. There's a lot of scrutiny with lawyers. It does seem like when it comes to these ethics that the lawyers definitely get a little bit more attention than the judges do. And I think we're kind of getting the idea. It's like, no, we probably should be paying attention to what's going on with the judges too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, both both uh, both sides, uh, you know, have most lawyers are judge or, or most judges are, are lawyers in their past life, obviously. Well, they all are. Uh, so but it's it, it, it's it's absolutely a question of, you know, doing the right thing. Most of the stuff is kind of self-explanatory. But in so us as lawyers, like we have lawyer ethical lawyers where if we do, you know, have an ethical question, we call that person mm-hmm. and we, you know, get their opinion on whether you can or you can't do something um, because there is a lot of gray areas, you know, that are called into called into question. Some, you know, with, with the with these Trump guys or whatever, uh, you know, it, it seems like they knew what they should should and should not be doing, but they did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, well, in, in versus, you know, and it's once again, it's it's interesting because you have this judge now, and I'll bring up another case, the case down in Kansas where the newspaper was raided, which is a pretty clear First Amendment violation. You know, they, they went in there. I mean, there is the, – the police chief is trying to make an argument saying, well, if they're, they feel there's a crimes happen, yeah, but you can't – just because you don't like the news story covered, that's not a crime. And that's violating the First Amendment, but a judge signed off on that. And there's a question you have to ask yourself is, as a judge, it's like, okay, you do understand this is a – you know, in that case, you'd almost want to, to fault on the side of the Constitution – and say, you need to really bring me evidence of a crime here if I'm going to basically confiscate computers and cell phones from a newspaper. And they didn't quickly, by the way, the, the county down there basically ordered them to give everything back because they said there's no crime here that can justify this. But once again, it's, you, you got it, – sometimes it does seem like, OK, a judge here signed off on this. This is a clear-cut violation of the Constitution, First Amendment of the Constitution, freedom of the press. Yet it, you know, it for some reason it just doesn't click in. I probably should not, you know, it, this is there's an ethics here that I have to uphold here and not just go with what my buddy is saying he needs me to do. Right, right. I mean, here's the thing about the law, Matt: is mm-hmm. if a judge wants a ruling to come out a certain way, it is going to come out that way. Mm-hmm. And you can bend the law. You can find a case on point. You can, you know, bend the facts the way that you want. Want you can find an. In every single case, you can find a an out if you want that out, mm-hmm. um, and you can and judge if a judge wants a case to come out a certain way, it will come out that way. It just it's just how it is. You have without getting into details. How many have you? How many times have you ever had to recru- recuse yourself from a case? Um, a conflict. Because of a conflict of interest, uh, a couple times. Okay. Uh, it, it doesn't happen all that often, but if there is a conflict of interest where you know I uh, have 
represented a party before where I have some inside baseball knowledge or something like mm-hmm. that, then I'm not going to touch that. And but you also have a, a firm that basically you you have enough you know you know players on the bench that if if you need to step aside because of the, that conflict, you definitely have someone there that can step in generally, correct? Right. You you could what you can do is if there's a conflict of interest with like me personally, you can uh, be what's called walled off mm-hmm. uh, from the case, so you don't know anything that goes about it, like a firewall goes up between you and you know the case that's you know at your law firm. Uh, it's a very common practice that happens at uh, really large law firms, yes. obviously. With you know thousands of lawyers, because you know there there probably will be some sort of conflict. And every time at a case added to some inception, you know the firm does a uh, a conflict check. You know they do you know these people? You know whatever blah blah blah, and everybody kind of signs off on it. Typically speaking, at uh, large at my law firm and at uh, larger law firms for sure. It's different though because I mean that process seems fairly straightforward. Have you? I mean, I guess I got to be careful here because I don't want to get you into trouble in any capacity. Have you ever come across a case yourself, or have heard of a case where all of a sudden you you become aware the judge has a massive conflict of interest? If if you have something like that, is there a process for the judicial for the legal team to be able to make an appeal in some sense, or is that just after the trial? You just have to wait for the trial to go through, and then that's the only recourse you have. No, you can make a motion to have the uh, judge recuse themselves for sure. Um, has it has it ever come across um, in a case that I had the closest the closest thing that that I had is uh, it was a case that was uh, in federal court um, where the uh, opposing attorney was representing the company. Uh, and the opposing attorney was a judicial law clerk for the judge that was hearing the case. Okay. And technically that's okay because it was outside of the, I think it's like a two or three year time period where that person clerked for the actual judge seeing the case. But I got ruled against in that, I got ruled <laughs> against in that case and I wasn't very surprised. And I wish I could have, uh, you know, removed the judge from that case, uh, but it was in federal court and you don't have that right. Mm. So in that, in that case, depending on what your jurisdiction is, is, so if in that case, was there then, I mean, and I don't want to necessarily talk about your case, but you, is then the course, the option is the appeal process and say, well, it, we're, we've become aware of this massive conflict of interest with the judge that, you know, you know, you know, they have, is it on the judge then to prove that the conflict of interest didn't, didn't weigh on their ruling? In that particular case, we did appeal, uh, but the, the the absence of recusal was or, or the the failure of the judge to recuse herself from that case was not the issue on appeal. Simply because the attorney that was uh, representing the company in that case um, was a law clerk for her, but it wasn't within like the two year time period. So technically speaking, as a matter of you know what was written in the code of ethics. The judge wasn't in violation there, mm-hmm. so it's unfortunate. I think it sh- she should have just recused herself, you know, in general, just because of the appearance of impropriety. But it actually wasn't a violation, so we didn't appeal that specific issue. And just, I'm just going to hypothetical this. If you say you had a case where all of a sudden you had a judge who, although didn't have to rec- recuse himself from cases, was 20 and 0 for the former law clerks for them that came before them, would that be enough to basically be able to say, okay, wait a minute, here's a clear pattern that if you were a law clerk for this judge. You're going to get the ruling. I don't know. It's, that, that, that'd be tough. I would like to make that argument and you know do a do an analysis like that. But uh, the, but that would be tough. It was if it, if the person was inside that two year time period or whatever, and the judge like failed to recuse herself, and there was a clear violation there, then sure, that's an appealable issue. Absolutely. 
Yeah, clearly for judges, this is kind of gets into the political realm that we have to, you know, wherever the judges are, whether it's state judges, county judges, federal judges, that we need to have politicians, basically the Congress, set up rules that basically say you can't do this sort of thing. Although I'm, I'm kind of to a point still stunned as this story with Alito and Thomas came out. What do you mean there aren't rules about this? This seems like it would be the most no-brainer of all time. That's where the pressure – for the judges at least, that has to come from the political realm, correct? Yeah, and, and especially with federal judges, you know, there's there's you know this the law that I referenced, and that's at issue with uh, Thomas in particular is the Ethics and Government Act of 1978. And with regard, and you know, Mr. Thomas is saying, hey, you know what? There's a food, lodging, and entertainment exemption. I didn't have to disclose these these lavish gifts because of this exemption. Well, okay, but it's not like you're getting taken to lunch at Applebee's here. Yeah. Well, well, maybe Applebee's in Monaco, which (laughs) I guess is better than the standard Applebee's. Uh, For lawyers, once again, it comes down to the fact that, you know, there there does seem to be a lot of rules and regulations in place. And, you know, a respectable law firm like MJSB, Employment Justice, is going to make sure that they're following the ethics rules to make sure that you're getting the representation that's fairest for you, correct? Absolutely. I mean, the last thing that you want as a lawyer is to be, you know, disciplined. Uh, by by the board by the uh, board of professional responsibility, um, that is so. We're not we're, lawyers. If you if you're if you're a good one, you don't want to put your law license in jeopardy ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people have questions about a law case. Would like to talk to you about employment justice. They should get in touch with you, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. MJSB Employment Justice. Ross Stad, I'm here. All right. <laughs> What's the website? Uh, www.mjsbjustice.com. Mjsbjustice.com. I'll link to all the social media accounts as well. I always do there. Ross, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on in today. Thanks, Matt. It was fun. My pleasure. All right. Ross Stadheim with MJSB Employment Justice. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. 